May of 1956 and heavy fog right off of the Virginia Capes, the battleship collides with the Eaton. So the Wisconsin and the Eaton collide in fog. What kind of ship is the Eaton? It's a destroyer. Okay. So it, if you see pictures, it basically has taken off the nose of this ship right under the anchors and almost back to the numbers. Wow. So it's, it's whole damage. Like it probably could have sunk it if you think about it. So it's, it's towed back into the shipyard here in Norfolk. But remember when I talked about those Ira class ships, they didn't finish? Yeah, the other two. The other two. They had the hull for the Kentucky and they were able to load the bow of the Kentucky onto a barge, bring it over to Norfolk, and just basically graph it onto the new bow in 16 days. The Wisconsin was seaworthy again. Oh, my gosh. So it got hit beginning of May, and it's seaworthy again the end of June in 1956. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Doug mentioned that fact to us once. Oh, I think and, he did too. And that's why it's called, they call it the whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's the W-I-S. Yeah. And then capital K-Y, yep. Wisconsin and Kentucky. And that that's why they call it that. So if you hear the big whiskey, it's because it's a hybrid of the Wisconsin and the Kentucky. So now you have a little bit of trivia. Yeah. Welcome to Talk With History. I'm your host, Scott, here with my wife and historian, Jen. Hello. On this podcast, we give you insights to our history-inspired world travels, YouTube channel journey, and examine history through deeper conversations with the curious, the explorers, and the history lovers out there. As we step back in time, Picture the mighty USS Wisconsin, a silent giant in the inky abyss of the wide open sea, its silhouette cutting through the waves with a purpose that transcends the ordinary. Born in the crucible of World War II, this battleship has weathered the storms of history only to be resurrected for a role that would etch its name in the annals of naval legend. It's 1991 and the air is charged with anticipation as the Wisconsin and you, its crew, embark on a journey that will test your mettle in the crucible of conflict. It isn't merely a ship, it's a symbol of American maritime prowess, a guardian of freedom poised to make history once again. Operation Desert Storm unfolds on the horizon and the Wisconsin, resplendent in its coat of battleship gray, sails into the heart of uncertainty and you look to the horizon as a silent witness to an unfolding drama that would soon grip the gulf. The Wisconsin's mighty guns, as if awakening from a slumber, stand ready for a dance with destiny. You can almost hear the echoes of a bygone era, whispers of battles fought and victories earned, resonating within the steel, hull humming in anticipation. In the stillness of the night, you observe the faces of your fellow sailors, their eyes reflecting a blend of determination and camaraderie. These are the warriors of the sea, guardians of freedom, entrusted with a mission that will echo through the corridors of history. And so, dear listeners, please join me on this voyage tonight through time as we unveil the story of the battleship Wisconsin in the Gulf War, its tale of bravery, sacrifice, and a brave spirit of those who sailed into the unknown. Set sail with us as we navigate the waters of war 
and honor the legacy of the Battleship Wisconsin. All right, Jen. I think I laid it out there. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Wisconsin today. Yes. It's so awesome for two sailors to talk about the Navy. This is right up my alley. I know. I love talking about the U.S. Navy. So it's the best service. And we get to talk about a true battleship. Yeah. And, and to kind of set the stage, we were trying to make this video for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So we do talk a little bit about behind the scenes for the YouTube channel. And so we knew we had our friend, Doug McLiberty, who is a listener of the podcast and reached out and we were trying to coordinate time to come out and film on the Wisconsin. He connected us with some of the folks who kind of run operations. Yeah. The Nauticus in the Battleship Wisconsin. Yes, Catherine over there. Catherine over there and Keith Nicka. And so eventually... Eventually, we got things set up. We got out to the Battleship Wisconsin because we, we only live a couple miles away. Yes. And we got to kind of one-on-one -on -one time with Catherine and Keith. And Keith gave us the whole grand tour. But before we get into our discussions with Keith and his time as a sailor on board the Wisconsin, let's talk a little bit about the history of the, the battleships. Sure. So I want you to picture a true naval battleship. And this is what the Wisconsin looks like. These Iowa class battleships had three sets of 16 inch turret guns. And these are huge three barrel guns. They're, they're set in three, three barrel increments. So there's nine of them across the ship. And it's something you can picture. They're numbered one, two, and three. And three is behind the superstructure. But the first two are right in front of the superstructure. So these big three 16-inch guns that kind of move in unison. Like, it's very awe-inspiring when you see this is what this ship did. It yeah, was... It, it's very classic World War II. If you had a toy battleship in your hand, like, that's what that's what you would most likely have. Yeah, it was a gunner. Yeah. It was this, what the, this ship was designed to take down ships and aircraft and actually then... For Desert Storm, it's going to bomb land targets. Yeah, provide naval surface fire support. Yes. On the very tip of the bow, which is the front of the ship, naval terms here, you'll see the anchors. So the anchors are very tip of the bow and their chains are laid out on the, the very uh, top of the, the... Of the deck. Of the deck there. Yep. And then you see 64. That's its number. It's the highest number, last number of the battleships. It's painted right there on the bow of the hull. And then on the very back of the ship, fantail, stern, all these naval terms I want you guys to know, is the helo deck. So that's where they would land their uh, aircraft. During Desert Storms, it's helicopters. They do have drones on board. During World War II, they were able to launch seaplanes and then they would have to get them from the ocean and they had a crane on the back. Oh, I don't, I don't think I realized that. Pick them up out of the ocean because you couldn't really land it back onto sure. the deck there. Now you could launch it off because it had a catapult, but you couldn't land it. So that's kind of how sea op air operations worked on a battleship in World War II. Yeah, and to, and to put it into a USS battleship, kind of to compare it to the, the ships of today, to what's now a guided missile cruiser, guided mm -hmm. missile destroyers, Frigates, there's really no more frigates that are operating right now. But when I was on a cruiser, we had about 300, 350 sailors. There's destroyers today. They run about 250 mm -hmm. sailors. And then there's ships kind of smaller. 
And then from the cruisers, you jump up to the big ones, right? You, you the aircraft carriers, the amphibious, you know, ships yes. that are running. We were on the Tarawa. We had about a twelve hundred person crew. Mm-hmm. This battleship, right? The, the Wisconsin, the Iowa class. I mean, they had fifteen hundred sailors on board. Yeah. That's how large and 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 how much they had on board. It was really interesting to me to see a ship that was used for almost 50 years and now obviously was decommissioned and recommissioned, mm-hmm. but over 50 years starting in World War II and eventually in in the Gulf launching tomahawks. Yes. That's wild. Well, I think the ship to me when I was on it, it, rem- it was very reminiscent of what you would find on an aircraft carrier because it was where men lived. Yeah. We today do do men do sailors and women live on ships sometimes and up until e five e four and then they go into the barracks. But during the World War II times when this ship was built, you lived on the ship, and so there's a post office, there's an ice cream place, there's a barber shop. Now you you will find those things on other ships smaller. In detail, but they were bigger on this ship. And again, it reminded me of what an aircraft carrier looks like. because it's, It's that scale. It's that scale. Now, I will say as an aviator, a naval aviator, I don't know a lot about ships until I did my disassociated tour, which was the tour you do when you become an officer of the deck and you learn about Navy ships. Like when you talk about the bullseye on the ship, and we'll talk more about what that is, I had... My first couple years in the Navy until I did my tower cruise, I had no idea what a bullseye was saying. It was like, it's it's sailor mumbo jumbo. I don't know what they do. I had no idea how a ship worked. I had no idea how you pulled those right. things. And, and if you're wondering what a bullseye is, if you ever have, if you ever watched a movie or if you go watch our video, we, t- we talk about what it is. But it's the, for lack of a better word, kind of these, these plaques around the ship, right? Mm-hmm. It's not even really a plaque. It's more of a sticker. In every space. In every single space. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know where you are. You can orient yourself where you are in the ship based off of these ship's bullseyes, right? So there's certain numbers followed by dashes, and you kind of learn where you are based on how far forward or how, how far back you are, where you are from central line, if you're either port or starboard, and, and, and then what kind of, of space it is. Yes. So, But let's let's rewind because we're, we're, yes. we're digging into the stuff so we want to talk about. We're two sailors ex- excited to talk about Navy stuff. But let's kind of rewind. So what were the genesis of, what was the genesis of, of the battleships? They came out of World War II. Came out of World War II. So these, so again, this is naval warfare. And that's why I was getting, I was talking about how I didn't really appreciate what it takes to be a Navy sailor. Because as an aviator, you don't really get that full grasp until you are doing a disassociated tour, which is you're disassociated from flying. But being a sailor, an actual Navy warfighter, that's what these ships were made for. And the Wisconsin was it was called up and made during World War II when America was on this mass production of warfare, fighting, making planes, making guns, making ships. And so it was um, laid down in 1941 and completed in 1944. And then it went right out to the Pacific. So it was in the Battle of Iwo Jima. It actually shot down a kamikaze, more than one. And during a time when kamikazes were taking out ships like there are three ships that were sunk by kamikazes and 
the Wisconsin prevented that from happening, was able to shoot them down before the, to getting to them. So this sh- ship was vital during World War II, went out there towards the end of the war, but really sealed the deal in some of these last campaigns against the Japanese. And again, it's a warfighter. It's a, it's a, it's a gunship. And we don't really make those today. We have them to some degree, but really we're dropping bombs from aircraft. That's usually, it's more accurate. It can do a lot more of it. Well, and, and we've we've mentioned briefly in podcasts of the past that, that World War II really saw the ship from true naval power to air power. Mm-hmm. That, that really was kind of the shift towards the end of, of World War II. Yes. Right? We saw that in the Pacific, right, with the aircraft carriers. We saw that, you know, after Pearl Harbor. Yes. That we, we were kind of forced into that shift. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? And so so there was that shift, but we still had both, yes. essentially. Yes. And, and then operationally, when we were out in the Pacific, it was much more about that. And then obviously in the European front, we were just kind of doing air power all, all, day, all day long. Yes. It's commissioned in April of 1944. It gets right out to the Pacific. It does its job. It's very successful. It's a powerful ship. Sees America through the surrender of Japan. Comes back and it does this great operation. I think it's called Operation Homefront where it gets all the sailors and Marines and troops after World War II and picks them up from all the random islands oh, cool. in the Philippines and in the Pacific and starts to bring them home. And so you can imagine it was as big as crew as it has. It could, ha- it has more space. And so it hits Hawaii and then it brings everyone back home to California. So it's one of those ships too, that it had a really great homecoming because it's bringing everyone back after World War II, which was a, a very big deal. Then a- after World War II, it comes back here to Norfolk, where we are, and it becomes basically based here. And it does a lot of midshipman cruises and training. It's really like it becomes a training ship and it's taking mids from the Naval Academy, like you were, Scott, and it takes them to like Scotland and it takes them over so they can kind of learn yeah. What it's like to be on a Navy it's, ship. It's the similar things that I did as a, as Naval Academy midshipman. I did time on a destroyer. Operation Magic Carpet. Magic Carpet. That's why I loved it so much. It was such a great name. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. But yes, I, doing those types of trainings, the, the Navy's always thinking about training up the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so when you have these battleships, they're still pretty new by, by Navy standards, by military standards, right? Um, they're going to take it. Hey, it was successful in the Pacific guarantee you everybody was studying everything that happened everything they could get their hands on through of what just happened during world war ii and so of course the the navy's going to send midshipmen out to it and they and so they use it for a couple more years after that three more years but it's decommissioned in 1948 which i think in july of 48 which i think probably because of the sizable crew it needs to maintain and it's peacetime and we're recovering from a war and so we're, we're downsizing as a country, but then Korea happens. So when North Korea invades South Korea, it's recommissioned in 1951 in March, and it heads right out to Korea. And it's part of a b- bombardment of the Republic of Korea, but it also it fires artillery rounds there. It's also the flagship for the Admiral. So it's used, and the Iowa classes are used for that. So it's relieved by the Iowa. So they're kind of on a rotation. Yeah, similar to aircraft carriers. Similar today. aircraft carriers today.
always say what ha- when a major conflict happens in America, the president first thing goes, where are my carriers? I imagine at the time it might have been more where my battleships. Sure. And I'm sure the carrier is starting to replace that idea. It's starting to kind of overshadow it. But I think it's still at the time where are my battleships? Because really those are the the operation of destruction, really. They are the ones that are carrying the big guns at the time. And we we're moving into aircraft that are doing bigger jobs, but not being launched from carriers. So we're moving into trying to find that perfect aircraft that can launch from a carrier and carry the bombs. Well, and, and if you if you go and watch our video, we don't we do a good job of kind of showing certain parts of the ship. We didn't get to kind of tour for the video as much as we wanted. We went back and toured a whole lot later. But the, the, the ship is so massive that ships like that are actually designed to handle essentially like a staff. Yes. It's the same, it was the same thing on the Tarawa. Mm-hmm. There was a flag bridge. Yes. And the flag bridge is literally just for the admiral and his staff to go hang out on. Yeah, it's, it was right below the regular bridge. It was bridge, right below the regular bridge. But it really bridge. served no It served no purpose, purpose. Other, other than for people to go, for the admiral to have a spot to have his have his bridge. Yeah. And, and so the, and similar on these Iowa-class battleships, they had the, the CO, right, the commanding officer, had kind of multiple staterooms throughout the ship. Mm-hmm. I imagine if there was an admiral on board, the admiral, one of those, probably the larger one, <laughs> belonged to the admiral. Absolutely. So... We had talked to Keith about uh, restrooms, heads on the ship. And why, and why are they called a head? It's because in old Navy, the 1600s, 1700s, think John Paul Jones Navy, the restroom was at the front of the ship. You went to the bathroom on the bow because you could lean over the bow and go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so when you would go to the bathroom and say, I'm going to the head, I'm going to the head of the ship. So... That term is still used on Navy ships today for the restroom. Yeah, and Keith was, he was a sailor. On, he was a on sailor. On battleship Wisconsin. Um, yes, he's um, a QM2. So he was a QM2, so he worked and he- we, Quartermaster. He was a quartermaster. He was part of the navigation team. He did all the operations. He actually, and go and watch our video. And I think what I may do is is add the full uncut mm-hmm. interview we have with him kind of as a link in the video description if people want to see the full sure. interview. Um but, but go watch that because he was a QM2. He talks about kind of a little bit of his Navy time and then his time on board. And actually, like, he was there when the Gulf War kicked off. Yes. And he went with the ship yes. out to the Gulf. Yeah. And he was there during the war. It was It's amazing to hear that story. And we're going to get into the Gulf War. But I wanted to say, I had asked him, of course, there was no women on board during the whole time because women didn't come on to combatants until 1993. It's decommissioned in 91. But there was two female heads to female restrooms and i'm like why and he said for the helicopter pilots which i was a helicopter pilot in the navy but i thought to myself i went into the any bathroom i went to the closest bathroom from the hangar because you have to go doesn't matter and what does it matter but but i can attest to when we were on the tarawa together and we would have dignitaries come on board or other heads of state and wives we did have restrooms specifically for dignitaries because we kept those extremely clean. No one was allowed to use them. So I did find in 1952 in January, they did have the president of South Korea and his wife come on board. And they, the couple received full military honors and they came on board and they were entertained on the ship. So that would be a purpose. 
for why they had a female head on an all-male ship. Yeah, and I actually do show some, like, a brief clip that they got of the four battleships actually sailing together, and it was, I think it was in 52. Yes. And so that was actually pretty neat to see, and I kind of point out which one the Wisconsin was in the in the video. But I think that was the last time that all four actually sailed together was in the, the early 50s. Yes, and so everyone knows there were four Iowa-class battleships. Of course, the Iowa, who it's named after, you have the New Jersey, you have the Missouri, and the Wisconsin. And so when everyone ever asks you what are the four Iowa-class battleships, you'll know. All named after states. And as Keith said, each one has a little special purpose, and we can we can get more into that as we go in, but into the detail of the podcast. But just know that there's only four of them. They had commissioned, I think, six. Yeah, there but, were six, but the other two didn't never got finished. The other two other got finished, but we are going to talk about a piece of one of them right. that was used. So after Korea, it's decommissioned again. So <laughs> it's like this poor ship is like commissioned. I I don't know who's ever been a ship that was commissioned three times. I don't know. I'd have to look into that. Maybe all the IR classes were. Yeah, it's very possible. So it's decommissioned again in March of 1958 after it saw action in Korea. It goes to Philadelphia and it sits in the shipyard there and it sits there with the other Iowa class battleships. And this is what Reagan will come into the presidency in 1980. And his part of his promise is a 600 ship Navy. And to fulfill that promise, it's easier to look around and say, what do we have built that we can retrofit to modernization and not have to rebuild a ship. And that is exactly what they did. Yeah, and they did all four of them. Yeah, so I actually found some clips. Again, this was the recommissioning of the New Jersey. Mm-hmm. This was December of 1982. So young Scott Benny was all six months old at the time. <laughs> and But it's it's Reagan standing there giving kind of the, the, the address and speaking to the crowd. And obviously there's news cameras and everything like that. So I found it on YouTube. But he's talking about, and as Reagan does, classic Reagan speech, and he's talking about how much he loves his wife and the leading, she was a leading lady. He's, but I fell in love with another leading lady. And then he starts talking about she's gray, she got a facelift, and she's now coming back into, into her own. And it was the New Jersey. So Reagan's always cracking jokes, but it was cool to see him there. And obviously he's kind of, I, if you watch more of the clip, not in the video, you can find it on YouTube. But if you watch more, he, he kind of, he's messaging Congress through his speech yes. about kind of how important this is. That's when the ships were really retrofitted for modernization. They removed guns that would not be effective against aircraft of the 90s. They retrofitted it with better radars, seawiz, things that were going to be more effective in the Gulf War. They removed the crane from the back of the ship. You're not any you're not picking up planes anymore from the ocean and they equipped it with drones so that'll be very interesting in the gulf war yeah yeah keith actually talked a little bit about watching some of those drone feeds from the ship yeah oh i did want to talk about one more thing before we get into that okay so after the korean war before it goes into maintenance it goes back into what it was doing with the midshipmen it comes back here to norfolk starts taking midshipmen across the Atlantic Ocean. It's a very foggy day in 1956. May of 1956 and heavy fog right off of the Virginia Capes. 
the battleship collides with the Eaton. So the Wisconsin and the Eaton collide in fog. What kind of ship is the Eaton? It's a destroyer. Okay. So it, if you see pictures, it basically has taken off the nose of this ship right under the anchors and almost back to the numbers. Wow. So it's it's whole damage. Like, you probably could have sunk it if you think about it. So it's it's towed back into the shipyard here in Norfolk. But remember when I talked about those Ira-class ships they didn't finish? Yeah, the other two. The other two? They had the hull for the Kentucky in Newport News. So if you know anything about where we are in Norfolk, Newport News is right across the channel. And they were able to load the bow of the Kentucky onto a barge, bring it over to Norfolk, and just basically graph it onto the new bow in 16 days. The Wisconsin was seaworthy again in the end of June. Oh, my gosh. So it got hit beginning of May, and it's seaworthy again the end of June in 1956. Well, and, and to be honest... Right. That's something to be said about the simplicity of some of those older ships. Exactly. And how quick those people worked in the shipyards. Yeah. Like that's when we talk about World War II and what these people were doing, turning out this material and making things here in America as fast as they were. Nobody could catch up with America. And and if. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Doug mentioned that fact to us once oh i think he did too and that's why it's called they call it the whiskey Mm -hmm. it's the w-i-s yeah and then capital k-y wisconsin and kentucky yes so it because even today it is a hybrid of the two exactly and that that's why they call it that so if you hear the big whiskey it's because it's a hybrid of the wisconsin and the kentucky that's a pretty cool fact right there So it's recommissioned in October of 1988. So I think it's the last one of the Iowa class that's commissioned. But it's commissioned so close that this is where Keith gets his orders to the Wisconsin. August 2nd, 1990, Iraq evades Kuwait. And then on August 7th, the Wisconsin and her battle group are ordered to deploy in defense of Kuwait for Operation Desert Shield. And they arrive in the Persian Gulf August 23rd. I think Keith had said he checked on board like the 5th or 6th of August. What he was saying was that he was talking about how the ship was supposed to go on an extended med cruise. Oh, that's right. So they were supposed to be going all around the med, doing all these port visits. They were supposed to go up to Scotland and do all this fun stuff. So he was talking about how excited he was about this deployment. Right here you are at E5. You're going to go see all over the med and do all these cool things. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah. You know, Iraq invades Kuwait and plans change. Yeah. So five days later. Yeah. It's evaded on August 2nd. Five days later, you're sent to the Middle East. And so he talks about going through the Suez. So if you know anything about, again, geography, this ship is coming from the East Coast. It has to go through Through, the Med. Through the Med. And then it goes through the Suez into the Persian Gulf. That's different. We were West Coast sailors. We would go across the Pacific. But they got over there to the Persian Gulf and... The whiskey, the Wisconsin, really, it's been now retrofitted with Tomahawk missiles. It's been retrofitted with Harpoon missiles. It's been retrofitted with these really sea-to-air, sea-to-surface, like these really strong weapons. And so it just goes to town. Oh, yeah. Well, it still has the 16-inch guns, too. So it's the 16-inch guns, right. too. Right. So, so not only can it launch missiles, but it can provide legitimate naval surface fire support miles inland. With these massive 16-inch guns, I mean, they're 
it's mind-boggling to me how big these guns are. You you really have to go in person. This is this is one of those things. On the West Coast, I think you can still do tours on the Iowa because mm-hmm. it's out there. Yes. When I was recruiting out there, I was, I was stationed beach. out there. We did some changes to command on board the mm-hmm. Iowa, which is pretty cool. Out here, you have the Wisconsin. I'm not sure what the status of, of the other ships are. Missouri is in Hawaii. Okay. So you can go there and see where the surrender took place. That's what the Missouri is known for. Yeah. And then the New Jersey, I'm not sure. Yeah. If anyone knows, put in the comments. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But in New Jersey. An, an absolute amazing visit. And so it kind of, it does its time in the Gulf. Does its time in the Gulf. And like I said, it gets out there and it, it just immediately sends 11 shells over to Kuwait and just it obliterates our, our Iraq art, our artillery. In the process of doing this, and in the process of kind of making its name, it sends drones out to kind of search and record and to verify. Our early days of drone usage. Early days of drone usage. And something very interesting happened on one of those drone reconnaissance missions. The Iraqis heard the drone and thought it was a missile and pulled out white flags and handkerchiefs and surrendered to the drone so the sicko or whoever was in cic took those people as prisoners of war yeah i, I think <laughs> keith even said that this this story went like that it must have i think it was probably the the tao yeah right? but it was whoever the officer was like stood up and said those are my prisoners those are my prisoners, <laughs> those are my prisoners. and so he went to the commanding officer who was captain david bill at the time and said sir they want to surrender what should i do with them so this surrender was Wisconsin's, like, it became a pioneer and one of the most remembered moments of the Gulf War. Because, because. The, the, this group of, of <laughs> soldiers, you know, s- surrendered to a drone, which essentially was surrendering to somebody at a ship miles away, <laughs> sitting in a combat information center in a watch center. And uh, and the officer in there, you know, says, those are my prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love that story because I can absolutely see that happening. I can too, because you can imagine Navy sailors want to be a part of that action. And so to be like, you took prisoners of war would be such a great uh, moment for your naval career. Yeah, you know, I, I would be putting that in my favorite. <laughs> So one of the uh, biggest things that come out of this, and I think it's a really good nod to the battleship Navy, is one of the Saudi Marine commanders commented over the radio that he wished that his Navy had battleships. And I think it's a really good testimony to what the Navy does and Navy heritage, that these ships are here to fight. They're warships. And what the whiskey did in the Gulf War was was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. During the eight months it spent in the in the Persian Gulf, it flew 348 drone hours. It recorded 661 safe helicopter landings. It fired 319 16-inch rounds, and it launched 24 Tomahawk cruise missiles. And then all four remaining battleships were decommissioned after the Gulf War. And this was the last time any uh, United States battleship act participated in a war. And it was the Wisconsin who was the last ship to fire those guns in wartime. In combat. In combat. That was one of the things that Keith told us. It it, it wasn't the last ship to fire a 16, 16-inch gun, but it was the last one to do so in combat. In combat. And so it's decommissioned for good. 
September 30th, 1991. 1991. So from there, then it kind of spends some, the Wisconsin specifically, I remember spent some time just kind of sitting in the, sitting around doing nothing. And I believe it was right around 2006 Mm -hmm. that it got kind of donated or turned into a museum. Yes, March 2006. It came over to one Waterside Drive here in Norfolk, part of the Nauticus Museum, and became retrofitted. A lot of things were had been removed from it, of course. Navy likes to repurpose and reuse things, so a lot of things were removed from it. But it became a museum ship, what we see today, which you can go on today. And the motto is Ford for Freedom. The Bic Whiskey has six battle stars. It has the wood deck. So I get people who ask me, why Why does a battleship have a wood deck? And this is true of all four of them. If you see the surrender on the Missouri you'll notice they're on a wood deck. And if you ever see different museums will have pieces of the wood deck from that deck, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's a wood deck for the Battleship Missouri. Teak wood is used for these Battleship decks because A, it's it's very durable and strong. It was less expensive at the time. Now wood is kind of more expensive, but at the time, it's yeah. less expensive than, than, than a steel deck. Than a steel deck. But the most important thing is the insulation and the relief of heat it gives to the crew inside the ship. Because when you think about where are these 1,600 men, they're inside the ship. And since there's no real air conditioning in World War II, with a metal deck, it's basically you could be baking people inside with uh, the heat. Oh, yes. My, my room in the Tarawa, <laughs> I was right below the flight deck and I got all the sun. Yes. And we had, quote unquote, air conditioning. It was just a nice little sauna <laughs> in St. Benny's uh, stateroom. So the wood provides some of that absorption of the heat and insulation from the heat. And that that was the biggest purpose of it. It's also lighter, buoyant, all these other things. So so the Wisconsin and the, the Nauticus itself right there, I mean, it, it's a full, you could spend the vast majority of a day there with your family doing both the Nauticus side of things and the, and the battleship Wisconsin side of things. So there's kind of two pieces of this, you're you're kind of paying a ticket to get the vast majority of, of of one thing, but they have tours that go around the Wisconsin. They show you, and and all the tour guides were fantastic. I mean, Doug, we've we kind of chatted with him for for quite some time, but they all know they're all passionate about it. They most of them have served in some mm-hmm. form or fashion, whether it's Army, Navy, whatever whatever it is. And you're often seeing because it's in the Norfolk area. You're seeing retirement ceremonies there. You're seeing all sorts of different, actually, official naval ceremonies there. I emceed a retirement ceremony there, with, and you came as, as a guest a yes. few months ago. I will say, we have been on that ship when it was blistering hot, and we have been on that ship when it was freezing cold. We've been, they do a fantastic Christmas where they decorate the ship with lights. Yeah, that was that's great. It's it's pretty amazing. And we brought the kids to that, but I've been on retirement ceremonies with you and you're in full uniform and we're sweating. It but like you said, people who work there are so passionate about that ship and love that ship and they love bringing any veteran who have served on that ship on board. They really do a great service even if you can't walk around the ship. They have cameras set up where you can sit on the first deck. And they'll take the cameras to any space you worked in or you want to see. And they'll show you the space. You can see it. You can show your family the space, even if you can't walk. Because 
A Navy ship, I will tell people, is a lot of stairs. It's a lot of ladders. They don't build military ships to be kind of handicap compliant, no. right? That's just not, that's not the nature of things. Mm-hmm. They did a really good job, and I'm glad you brought that up, of accommodating people who still want to come to the ship. Maybe they've served a very long time ago or whatever it was. And so there is, you can walk kind of across the, the gangplank, right? Mm-hmm. You know, across the, across the brow. You can get in there. And if you don't, if you can't climb ladders and stuff like that, they have that station yes. essentially inside the ship with all those, it's just kind of a bank of screens. Mm-hmm. What are these screens? Well, the screens go to these cameras that they set up around the ship, which I thought was so Cool. Yes. Yeah, so they can take you to the engineering spaces. That's if right. you worked in the engineering spaces. Doug, Doug talked about yeah, that. Yeah. So it's so great. If you want to go back and visit, but you can't do the stairs anymore, but you want to show your family, you can still go there and see the place that you've served your country. And that's, I love this ship. I love the Navy, but I love the passion that people have for it. I love how well they tell the story. I love how well they keep up this ship. It is amazing to be on it. And they preserved so many things on it that even when we stepped on board, it smelled like the Navy. Like the mess decks smelled like mid-rats. Mid-rats is when you can get food at midnight. Yeah, midnight rations. <laughs> because <laughs> you've worked all day. Or like me, I flew and I just got done flying and I missed dinner. And they have little bits of lunch left over, dinner left over, even some breakfast. And so you can eat something some something warm meal yeah and it, it brings back so many memories it really was amazing and i'm really thankful to the uss wisconsin and their crew who provide who allowed us to come on board and tell some great sea stories and i'm really thankful that that we were able to do that but if you want to get out there and see it we definitely recommend doing it the nauticus tells a great story of the Navy in that area in Norfolk. There's a lot of good naval history there. It's one of the oldest harbors here in America. You got the Battle of the Ironclads. You got George Washington. You got some good stories yeah, happening there. And even there. like the little museum display inside that you can walk through. They were like actually doing some work, mm-hmm. some some more work. I, I'm sure by the time this this episode comes out, like some of that may, may be up. Yeah, they have a really good, they have some great artifacts from the Battle of the Ironclads and yep. they really want to showcase that even more. But it's a great spot to visit, especially if you want to pay some homage to World War II, Korea, Gulf War, Navy, or you just want to see a really awesome last battleship. It's there waiting for you. Yeah, I, I just enjoyed it so much. And we've been there a few times now, kind of in the span of, of a couple months. Highly recommend it. Very easy to find. You don't need links in our show notes to find it. You can Google US, the the. USS Wisconsin, Battleship Wisconsin, you'll be able to find it pretty easy. So as we lower the anchor on this episode, remember that the sea of history is vast and we have only scratched the surface even talking about the Battleship Wisconsin. We extend our deepest gratitude to the sailors who served on board the Wisconsin over the years and those like Keith who share their tales those guardians of the sea who braved the storm. If you're ever in the Norfolk area, you have to visit the Wisconsin. The history, the guides, the grandeur of the battleship are a must-see for any history fan and definitely for any sailor out there. So thank you for listening to the Talk With History podcast and please reach out to us at our website, talkwithhistory.com. But more importantly, if you know someone else that might enjoy this podcast, your sailor buddies out there, please share this with them. 
shoot them a text and tell them to look us up. We rely on you, our community, to grow, and we appreciate you all every day. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.